We have two readings this morning. Our first reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 19, and that can be found on page 291 in the Red Church Bible. So 1 Samuel, chapter 19, I'll be reading from verses 1 to verse 12. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I found out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took his oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Our second reading now is from Psalm 59, and that can be found on page 577 in the Red Church Bible. So Psalm 59. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, O Lord. I have done no, no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. O Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. See, what about the spew from their mouths? They spew out swords from their lips, and they say, Who can hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You scoff at all those nations. O oh, my strength, I watch for you. 
You, O God, my fortress, my loving God. God will go before me and will let me glout over those who slander me. But do not kill them, O Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. In your might, make them wander about and bring them down. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more. Then it will be known to, to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. They return at evening snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food, but I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. O oh, my strength, I sing praise to you. O oh, God, are my fortress, my loving God. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy St. Patrick's weekend. Um, great to see you all. Let me just move a few things off here. We are taking a break from Genesis, um, or certainly stopping the Genesis series for the time being. We'll pick it up uh, at some point in the future. Um, children, if you haven't got one of these, um, uh, can you, I don't know if stewards at the back, are you able to find the pile, please, and maybe come down the aisles and offer them to any children that don't have? Um, there's a word search on here, uh, which will be some of the words from the talk, and uh, there's some boxes for you to fill in and color as well. Um, have a look at that. And children, while we're going through the sermon, I'm going to talk about two things that David does. They both begin with T. If you can come and tell me afterwards what those two T's are, you might get a little bag of Haribo or something like that. <clears throat> um, Ireland, 29. England, 16. Um, I had the amazing privilege of actually being there yesterday. Um, singing along, uh, just cheering with the crowd, and it, it, was, it was amazing, it was fabulous, it was just extraordinary, this sort of moment of glory for uh, the Irish nation. Um, let me read you just a few verses from 1 Peter 1 before we get to Psalm uh, 59, just because actually it might feel as we gather this morning that this is something much less impressive, much less glorious, much less significant. Listen to these words. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. As we look at this passage, as we hear God's word to us this morning, Actually, this is greater, more significant. It's eternal, the truths and things we are thinking about, the God that we are thinking about. So can I lead us in prayer as we come to God's word? Let me pray. Almighty God, eternal one, 
we bow before you this morning, adults, children, we recognize that we are frail, small, our glory is fading, but your word stands forever. And so as we come to it, would you give us a hunger to hear it? Would you give us hearts that want to take in what you are saying and live it out for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> right, I've got a question for you to start, and you need to chat to the person next to you or the couple of people next to you to do this, okay? So I want you to think about the last crisis you had. So children, you know, when something went wrong and you just weren't really sure what to do, okay? The last crisis, it could have been something big. You know, you didn't get the job or the grades or the health or the holiday that you wanted. It could have been something small. You couldn't find the car keys or there was no Wi-Fi or you lost your toy, okay? Whatever it was, the last crisis, how did you respond? What did you do when you faced that crisis? Just chat to the folk next to you. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you there. Hopefully, you've had a moment to think about, even if you didn't get to tell the person next to you, what your sort of normal response in a crisis is like. The heating bill comes in. You can't afford to pay it. What do you do? The predicted grades come in. They don't look like it's going to be enough for you to get that college course. What do you do? The computer crashes. All that work wiped out. What do you do? Your parents say that they don't love each other anymore, that they're separating. What do you do? They're spreading lies about you at school, being mean to you. What do you do? When you face a crisis, do you panic? Do you despair? Do you grumble? Do you take action? Do you ask someone for help? What's our normal response? 
I'd love you to turn up page, uh, sorry, Psalm 59 if you've closed it. Page 577. <clears throat> Psalm 59 is all about a crisis that David is facing. So actually, that, that little text underneath Psalm 59 um, is, up, is part of the Bible. It tells us what's going on. So it tells us it's uh, some of the, the music stuff, who it's written by. And then it says, when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. Here's the crisis. At the time, Saul was king on the throne of Israel, but he was not a good king. And God had chosen David as his chosen king. And David was getting increasingly popular, increasingly successful. Do you know so much that the people of Israel around were saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul was getting jealous. He'd had enough of David. And as we heard about in that reading in 1 Samuel 19, he decided... He was going to get rid of him. He, he threw that spear at him and it just missed him. David managed to escape. And so David gets back to his house and Saul sends his elite forces down to surround the house, to wait, and then to kill him in the morning. Can you imagine it if this was you? So you're in your home, wherever you live at the moment. And when you peer out the window, they're out the front, they're out the back. There is no escape. It's terrifying. How would you respond? Well, this psalm here is David's response in the midst of this situation. We're going to see two things that he does. Children listening up, here's the first. David turns to God. And can you hear the desperation in these early verses? Verse 1, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. It's like sort of flood water rising up. He, he can't see any escape. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. See how they lie in wait for me. These attackers, what do they want? Bloodshed. And, and David says to God, verse 3, see how they lie in wait for me. Then he says, I've done nothing wrong. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, O Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. David has got this situation, this crisis and he cries out to God. And actually what he says to God is, wake up, God. Look, look again at verse 4. Halfway through he says, arise to help me. Look on my plight. O Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. He says, wake up, God. Now, children, um, I'm going to go to sleep, okay? And you guys need to wake me up, all right? Children, you ready? I'm going to go to sleep, and you need to wake me up, all right?
Wow, that's very impressive. I should get you as my alarm call every morning, I think. Um, great job. You managed to wake me up. Do you know we, we don't need to wake God up? God doesn't sleep. So why does David say, arise, get up, rise yourself? What he's really saying to God is, look at what is going on, God. Can't you see what is happening? When we have a really tough time, we can do the same. We can turn to God and say to him, arise, get up, help me. When I face a crisis, I find that actually this isn't always my natural response, that I think I must turn to God. No, actually, sometimes it's the last thing I do. And actually, what does that say about what I think about who God is, my relationship with him, my, my trust in him, my opinion of how powerful he is? When we face a tough time, we should turn to God. And we're allowed to say, arise, get up, hear me, look at what is going on. That, that's not being disrespectful. Actually, it's showing respect and honor. It, it's saying this is a real cry to a real God who really is able to help. At this moment in the psalm that David finds himself in, it seems like his enemies are getting away with it. That there's no wakefulness from God, no sight from God. And actually, David describes his enemies like wild dogs. Look at verse 6. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths. They spew out swords from their lips, and they say, who can hear us? Anyone got a pet dog at home, or maybe a relative who has a pet dog that you see from time to time? Stick a hand in the air. If you, okay. If you, um, if you care about that dog, keep your hand in the air. Okay, yeah, most of you. Um, back then, when David was writing about these dogs, dogs weren't pets. Actually, there were wild dogs that used to roam the cities. They were much more like wolves, dangerous, prowling. And David says what he's experiencing. As he's in his house, as he's checking who is outside, it's as if there are wolves all around him, surrounded by him, by them. And the enemies think, well, verse 7, who can hear us? They think no one sees. No one hears what they're up to. And it's terrifying. When life is difficult or even terrifying, does that take us by surprise? Actually, here in this psalm, what we are seeing is that God's chosen king, David, is facing a terrifying situation. He's afraid for his life. And so we shouldn't be surprised. In this life, God doesn't promise to take away all the harsh realities of this broken world. Sometimes He will deliver us from them. What He does promise is to be with us through them. Sometimes that is just 
the suffering that is part of living in this world, in the state it's in. Sometimes it is opposition from those who don't love Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, the more we live for Jesus, the more we can expect opposition from those who don't love Jesus. And what are we to do when we face those situations? We're to turn to God with an honesty, a cry that says, wake up, God. Can't you see? And this is what David's doing. And then, do you see what he says God is doing in verse 8? God is laughing. Not at David, but at his attackers. Verse 8, but you, O Lord, laugh at them. You scoff at all those nations. Now, now God's laughing here. It's not vindictive. It's not an evil laugh. It's not ha, 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 ha. It's because these enemies are so weak. They're pathetic. They're a joke. I want you you to imagine um, there's a junior infant here, okay? A junior infant here, and here is Ty Furlong. Okay, for those of you who don't know who that is, that's one of the Irish rugby players, all right? And imagine the junior infant goes, I'm going to beat you up. I mean, Tyg Furlong would just smile and laugh, wouldn't he? That's what's going on here. God is just amazed, amused that these people think they could take God on and win. No one, no nation, no person should think, oh God, who, who can hear us? We can do what we like. No one sees, no one cares. If we're here this morning and we're not a follower of Jesus and we think we can live in God's world our own way and there's no consequences, then this should be a wake-up call to us. We can't take God on and win. Those of us here who are followers of Jesus, we don't think we're better. No, all we've done is recognize how we've treated God like this and come to God for the forgiveness and love that He offers. And maybe for you today, this is the time that you should do that. You see, David here knows this undeserved love of God. Look, verse 9, what he says. Oh, my strength, I watch for you. You, oh God, are my fortress, my loving God. The proof that David believes God is real and really sees and really cares is he turns to God. But then the tone of the psalm changes. So verses 1 to 9, there's just sort of real desperation as David cries out. And then the same structure of the psalm is repeated, and 10 to 17, actually, it's increasingly hopeful. Because after turning to God, what David does, secondly, here's the second thing we're going to see, is trust in God. Okay, I've got another task for you to do in your twos and threes, all right? You need to look through the psalm, find any names or descriptions of God. Okay, Any, anything you can find in the psalm that describes or names God, go for it in your twos and threes.
Okay, you're able to shout out anything you've seen? Anything at all? Just shout it out. Refuge, great. Say again. Shield, brilliant. Loving, great. Fortress, thank you. Strength. Holy Spirit, brilliant. That must be hidden in there somewhere. Um, Anything else? Steadfast. Almighty. Loving. All these names and descriptions of God, all here so that we know God better and deeper. So that we can use these, so that we can pray these. And actually, as David thinks on the character of God, as he turns to God, as he trusts in God, I think there's two particular characteristics that come out in, in the verses he repeats, in, uh, in the words he repeats in verse 9 and verse 17. He, he says, you're my strength. Here is the strong God. And my loving God. Here is the loving God. As David peeps out the window and looks at those attackers front and back, as he's in this situation, he needs God to be both, both strong and loving. If God is strong and not loving, then how do we know he'd want to protect David? If he is loving and not strong, then he's, well, not able to protect David. But David knows that he is both. He says, you are the God Almighty, you're my fortress, my shield, our refuge. And so for David, it's as he's saying these names, as he's describing God, he's remembering the God he knows, the power he's seen, the care he's experienced before, and it causes him to trust in God. You know, when we feel that panic rise, it feels like our crisis is just rising like a flood or, or our thoughts are just spiraling. Like David, we need to remember God's power and God's care. And actually, not just remember who God is, but say who He is. Pray who He is. Sometimes we just need to shout who He is to ourselves. My strength, my fortress, my refuge, my loving God. But you know, as David is in the house and he's wondering... What on earth is he going to do? And he's crying out to God and he's trusting in God. It doesn't look like God is able, really. It looks very uncertain. But David isn't uncertain. Look at verse 9. So he says, Oh, my strength, I watch for you. You are God and my fortress, my loving God. God will go before me. And will let me gloat over those who slander me. Now, that sounds a bit vindictive, doesn't it? It's a sort of personal revenge here from David. I, I'm going to gloat, get pleasure over the fact that my enemies are defeated. What we need to realize is that David is the anointed king of God's people. And so any attack on David is actually an attack on God and on God's people. 
And so David here is expressing concern for the reputation of God and of Israel. And that's why he asks for what he does. And so he goes on, verse 11. Do not kill them, O Lord, our shield, for my people will forget. In your might, make them wander about and bring them down. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. That seems a bit contradictory here, doesn't it? So verse 11, he says, don't kill. And verse 17, he says, do. David isn't concerned about God being too harsh. Actually, he knows that what we all deserve for rejecting the God who made us is death and judgment. That rejecting God and living in God's world our own way has consequences. But David also knows it's only because of his grace and love that he is forgiven and saved. What he's expressing here is concern that God would use this situation to make himself known. So end of verse 13, then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. He says, don't kill them immediately. Humble them first, and all will see how foolish it is to try and take God on. And then when the time is right, consume them. Then the ends of the earth will know that you are God. They're strong words, aren't they? Now, now we're not David. We're not God's chosen king. And so we need to be really careful how we pray. Jesus says, you should pray for your enemies. You should love them. But with David, we can be certain that one day God will judge all that is wrong. God will act for his people, and all will know that it is truly the God Almighty who rules. And why? Not just because he's promised, but because his reputation depends on it. Do you know, as we gather here this morning, maybe we go, oh, like I'm not God's anointed king, I, I you know, how can I be certain? He must have had such reassurance. We can be more certain than David. As Jesus sang this song growing up, he would have known that this is what lay ahead for him, a situation where he would be in a crisis and all the enemies would have surrounded him. He would have known that although he had done no wrong, bloodthirsty men would lie in wait, speak lies, hunt him down. And yet he would have known in his case that it was something that he must do, that he was willing to do, to pay for our sin, that we could be delivered from the death and judgment and hell that we deserve. Jesus couldn't be delivered if we were to be. And he would have known as he sang this psalm that as he went down that road, he would be keeping God's promises and protecting God's reputation. See, as we look back at Jesus, 
we see how certain we can be that God is for us. That for sinners like you and me, if we've come to Jesus, we're forgiven. Which means that in any crisis, as we turn to God, we're we're not afraid, we're not worried, we're going to face His anger or His judgment, but we know that He loves us. We can be certain that He is for us, that He is strong, that He is loving. And you know what? That should lead us not just to turn and to trust, but to praise. And what we see at the end of the psalm is David doing exactly that. By the end of the psalm, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. So verse 14 and 15, do you see? There's that same description of the dogs prowling. David is still in his house, still surrounded. If he looks out the window, they are still watching him. Nothing has changed. And yet he says this, verse 16, but I will sing of your strength. I will praise you. Sorry, I will sing of your strength. In the morning I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. Oh, my strength, I will praise, sing praise to you. You are God of my fortress, my loving God. Nothing has changed. Now, I, in my head, I'm sort of wondering in this situation, what is Michal, David's wife, doing in all of this situation? I sort of imagine her um, being downstairs and wondering how David's doing upstairs and, and going up and seeing, like, has he hidden in the hot press? Like, is he under the bed? What's he doing? And she walks into the bedroom, and there he is singing praise to God. It's just extraordinary singing of God's strength and confident that he'll still be alive in the morning, even though nothing has changed. I find that really challenging. My response to a crisis isn't usually praise. It's, uh, I've got to sort this out, or I need to think this through, or it's panic, or it's despair, or it's thoughts spiraling. And yet, as we turn to God, And sometimes that'll be in the tears or the terror. As we trust in Him, what we find is again, He is enough. And even if that process sometimes takes a long time, what we find is that our cry of help turns to a song of praise. And in God's good time, sometimes in this life, absolutely in the next, He will deliver us. So let me ask you, when the next crisis comes, how will we respond? Will we grumble? Despair? Think, I I need to sort this out on my own. Or will we turn Will we trust and even sing with David? Oh, my strength, I sing praise to you. You, oh God, are my fortress, my loving God. Let me lead us in prayer.
our gracious God, our, our loving God. Thank you that though we are failed sinners, we know that because of Jesus, we can come to you, turn to you, and know you as our strength, our fortress, our refuge in times of trouble, our shield. And we pray whether that is right now as we're facing really difficult stuff at the moment or into the future when that next situation comes, would you help us not to forget you, but to turn to you, not to strive in our own strength, but to trust in you and to praise you, knowing that you are the strong one, the loving one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to sing. I'm going to invite the musicians up.